you know, there are grievous sins, you know, committed in the church. I mean, some of the worst sermons you'll ever hear on racism come out of white churches from the South. But those are not churches. Those are cultural keepers. Yeah. You know? Um, and here's the thing that's amazing. So um, there's actually some, some great works by some super racist dudes in the South. And you can go back and read it. And it's these economists in the South. And they're saying slavery is holding us all back. Because what happens when you don't pay 50% of the people that are in your, in your culture? They don't have any money. Mm-hmm. They can't buy anything. Yeah. So you have racist, white, racist guys saying, hey, slavery does not work. It does not work. So when Martin Luther King starts, starts you know, marching, um, let's say you go to a white-only theater, right? Or you go to a mixed-race theater. And mixed-race is a dollar show. And the white, because he has to, he, think about it, he has to, he has half the people mm-hmm. and he has to make the same money. So he has to charge $2. Mm-hmm. Well, where are you going to go? Mm-hmm. You're going to go to the mixed race theater because mm-hmm. it makes economic sense. And so, you know, I mean, that's what Thomas Sell says, is the true color of America is green. Like, he's like, that's, that's what it comes down to. And so these things were starting to change because um, when you don't pay people, they, they can't, they have no means yeah. to spend. And, and so that's one of the unique ways that slavery, during the time of Paul, and we need to be clear on that. I hate it when people say slavery in the Bible was different. Well, you're talking about a book over thousands of years. Well, what time in the Bible are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, because there is slavery in the Bible that's very much like American slavery, you know, where they didn't have a voice. They, it was ethnically based, right? Th- those, but during Paul's time, slaves had money. You know, uh, people sold themselves into slavery, and so you know, slavery's had ability to give. Sla- slavery's had slave had slaves had economic power in Rome, where in America they they had no power. Yeah. They were, you know, and 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 in that they were violating the commandment of Christ, which is do not withhold the the wages, um, the workers' wage. That that's a violation. You got to pay um, for the work, and so, um, you know. God's policy is always good economic policy, treating people well, paying people well, um, appreciating skill and talent. I mean, those are important things, um, you know. And so, um, you know, and when you don't educate and you don't economically release, I mean, I think the South was almost 50% black. I don't know what the numbers are. Think, so think about 50%. It's just like, it's just as dumb as not letting women go to school. Think about all the smart women you know. Nope, <laughs> we're not gonna use them. I mean, society doesn't doesn't move forward um, because you're saying no to these brilliant women who are smarter than a lot of dudes. You know, I mean, you know, if you take a brilliant woman, how many dudes is she smarter than? Most. So um, those systems don't work, and, and they're just stupid. And so, unfortunately, the church was withholding those structures, um, and not all of them. You know, some were speaking out against it, but you know, pastors, and you know this, right? We talked about this. We can only push you guys so far culturally before you throw burn us at the stake. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you guys are like, just preach God's word. Here's what you mean by that. Just preach God's word as I agree with it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Otherwise, the pastor gets burned. Yeah. So, so you can only be as prophetic yeah. as the wealthiest person in the room. Yeah, mm-hmm. and if you don't believe me, read every single prophet of Israel because they're all in prison. <laughs> they're all, like, like, you know, nobody wants to hear what God has to say. You know, I, uh, what, which prophet is it where uh, the king says, I don't want to hear from him. He never says anything good. Uh, I think it's in Second Kings or Second Chronicles. It's Elijah, right? He's like, I, I hate that guy. He never says <laughs> what I want him to say. And so we all think we want to hear God's word. 
um, as long as it, it, you know, we want to be challenged, mm -hmm. but not confronted. Mm -hmm. And the gospel confronts. And that's why they had to kill Jesus, you know, because he confronted their sin. And the truth is, you know, um, Judaism had become very racially centered. And that's hard for a Jewish person who has experienced anti-Semitism for thousands of years. That's hard for them to deconstruct because they've always been on the receiving end of the punch. Well, in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, they had it pretty good. Now they weren't, you know, Rome was still the man, but Rome had a weird appreciation for Israel. It's weird. Uh, a lot of, a lot of, um, um, you know, uh, King Herod, he, he is married to a Jewish wife. A lot of them, they, they liked Jews. They, they saw them as kind of a, um, not Roman, right? Because you, you wanted to be Roman, but they were an upper, they were seen as, um, kind of, I'm, I'm trying to think of the word, special. Not Roman, but special. Even so, Luke's gospel mentions Herod having yeah. a curiosity with Jesus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He wanted to meet him. Yeah. 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 Romans had a, 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 a positive curiosity towards Judaism and Christianity. Mm -hmm. um, now that faded. Um, and and, and here's, what, here's where Jews were content to live within a polyistic society. Here's where Christians were offensive. There is no God. Your God's not God. Your God's not a God. Your God's not your God. No. His name is Jesus. I mean, that's, that's what made Christianity crazy different. And it rattled Rome because Rome didn't mind adding Christianity, right, right. Mm -hmm. but Christians didn't want to be added. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. Jesus alone is Lord, you know. Um, and so, um, so I would say deconstructionism is good, but every young person, you just have to know what you need to deconstruct is deconstructionism. Sorry, I want to go back to when we were talking about um, deconstructing of like the wounding of whether it's the person or the church. I think a lot of the times now, even for myself too, um, and for a lot of my friends that have deconstructed in multiple different ways, the problem comes not necessarily, I think, I think some of us get it right with figuring out that it's the person and not mm -hmm. the church, um, but I think a, a lot of the problem comes from when the church as the institution, you're a fantastic leader and have always been for this church, so it's, mm -hmm. I, f I feel like it's easier for mm -hmm. us to say like, yeah, we see it, we identify it, we kick it out, but that's not how every church works. Sure. Um, and so the problem for us and figuring out like, okay, is the church something that I actually want to stay a part of is when we see the person that has hurt us that we identified, but it's not acknowledged mm. by the leadership. Mm. They're not reprimanded for whatever it was. Mm. And they're, they're still allowed to have the position mm -hmm. in which they were allowed to hurt us, to hurt our family, yeah, yeah. to hurt everybody else. Yeah. Um, so I just want to, maybe if we talk about that a little bit more of um, I mean, churches necessarily, like leadership-wise, how to identify those people and like mm. that have caused people to deconstruct their faith, their concept right. of whatever sure. they believe. And so I just would say to every person who's been hurt by the church, I'm sorry, but I can only I can only become aware of your wounding or any of your friends' wounding in one of two ways. The Holy Spirit reveals it to me in a vision or a dream, um, which happens. That's not normally how it happens. Or a victim, a brave victim steps forward and does what I didn't do and says I've been wounded and I've been hurt um, and um, and says this is what happened. I can't tell you how many times I learn about wounding that's happened at Sandals Church years later. I didn't know. And, and I, I didn't know. And so here's the thing is people don't relate to me normal in a normal way. 
like all of you guys in here work for me. I'm in a place in time now where most of my friends work for me. That's that's weird. That's a weird way to live. Uh, my life didn't start out that way, but that's where it is now. And so I, I need people who are willing to say, um, hey, this happened. Um, and uh, one of the things that I'm very careful to do at Sandals is, is when I've wounded someone, um, and, and I have, I, I'm very, I'm very um, specific, I very specifically say, I've sinned against you, please forgive me. Um, because I think that it's important for, for people in power to be humble and to say, I have sinned, please forgive me. I think that that's important. It's why I'm really, I'm really happy about uh, our former Pope, the guy from Germany, has come out and said, hey, Munich, I sinned against you when you know, these priests were accused. I did not do the right thing. I think that's monumental for the Catholic Church. Uh, I think the Catholic Church has gotten it wrong a lot. I think we need to give him credit um, and thank him um, because as a person who's had to deal with uh, molestation in the church, I've had to confront leaders in, at Sandals. Um, uh, I've, I've been a part of reporting people that have gone to jail because of what they did at Sandals. Um, I can tell you it is not as easy as you think. No one thinks their dad, their mom, their brother, their sister would ever do that. And, um, you know, I champion the victim. Um, you know, I've, I've had to kick people out of this church who then have gone and spread rumors that I kicked them out because of their race, because of their sexuality, or because of their the theological, and the truth was they're a predator. And that's why I said, you cannot come here. Um, I didn't feel like it was my role to go out and publicly smear a person. Um, and that's the thing about leadership is I've always felt like it's not my job to punch back. I want to. I, I want to punch back. But when I punch, here's the thing is when I hit somebody, I'm their pastor and they may never recover. Because I carry the authority and the weight of Jesus. And so... And I think that's why wounds from Christian leadership are so deep. Mm -hmm. And so, right, I, I don't have a money problem. I have an emotionally management problem. Same thing with my reaction to situations. I get angry. It's why Dan Zimbardi tends to handle disciplinary because I'm like a cool cat until I'm not. Hmm. And uh, man, I, I lose it. And so that's why Dan Zimbardi, Dan Zimbardi has a longer fuse than I do. And um, he handles confrontation much better than I do because I'm I'm cool I'm cool I'm cool and then you know the Matt Brown who grew up you know in the hood comes out and I'm like look one of us is gonna bleed and it ain't me I mean that's my sinful flesh that's the sinful part of me but if I do that my sin is greater than whatever they've done because I'm the pastor yeah. I represent yeah. Jesus and, and I haven't found the scripture where Jesus punches somebody like he threw a table but he didn't throw <laughs> he didn't throw a hook yeah. so maybe whipped a few people yeah. but here's what I would say yeah yeah here's what I would say is is it's okay to leave a church there are unhealthy churches right. sandals has been unhealthy for periods of time I there was a time where I said lord who hired all these people like what what is happening here and it was me I had created the mess and uh, it's why I tell pastors, you've heard me say it, every single problem Sandals has always faced is my problem. Yeah. Even if it wasn't me, it was my unwillingness to deal with the problem. Mm -hmm. yeah. So what I would say is uh, at Sandals, boldly make an appointment and just say, I wanna to talk to a pastor. So here's how you do it at Sandals. You go to Soul Care. They're mandatory reporters. 
So they will call the police if they need to, and they will inform leadership. And it's happened multiple times. Um, you know, of all of our friends that have been wounded, you just need to know there's always another side. And tears do not communicate truth. And so that's the difficult thing, right? When it's a he said, she said, or he said, he said, um, and I'm not God. I don't know. And I know that, I know we all want to believe our friends. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just got lied to this week by a good friend. I mean, a really good friend looked me in the face and lied to my, to my face. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm choosing to believe you. I hope that you're telling me the truth. And I got an absolutely. And I just found out, you know, that they, they are not truthful. And that's, it's kind of spent me spiraling a little bit. Um, because that's hard. It's hard to believe somebody. Um, and here's the thing, people in power lie and victims lie. So as a church, we have to weigh into this and we have to try to figure it out. I always err on the side of the victim because I think that's the better place. But I don't want to destroy lives because somebody says something. Um, you know, um, we, we have to be careful um, because sometimes people believe that something happened and it didn't happen. Yeah. Like, you know, people can believe lies. Uh, it's a weird thing. So we have to weigh into this. So what I would say is at Sandals Church, this is the way it works. You contact Soul Care. Soul Care is it's like an independent body at our church. Like, so right, so they don't report like to leadership. They hear your case, they share it. If they feel that it needs to be reported to leadership, they do. And it has happened. And then we start a disciplinary process. And here's the thing, at Sandals, uh, I don't believe in shaming. I don't believe in publicly ridiculing leadership. Um, you know, I know that I know that there's a text in the scripture that says bring them before the church. The Apostle Paul would have no concept of a church of 32,000 people. That's where we have to interpret something culturally. If Sandals is eight people and we know that Fredo sinned, Fredo, we're going to stand in front of the seven people. But Fredo has to live in Riverside. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to put him in front of 32,000 people and say, no, nobody talk about this. Everybody's talking about it, yeah. Yeah. right? Everybody's yeah. going to be like, you know what Fredo said? Don't tell anybody. You know, that's what we're all going to do. Um, and so I don't believe in public shaming um, unless it was me yeah. because I'm in front of the whole church. And, and Fredo, because when, when, you, when you step into the teaching gift, you know, we, we have to publicly say, hey, look, this happened, but, but I'd still, if, you know, God forbid something happened to Fredo, my intent would not be to shame you or embarrass your wife. Right, right. It would be to inform as best I can. Yeah. But if it's, you know, somebody that nobody even knows, like, what they do, yeah. you know, like, you know, I'm not going to be like, Joe Schmo, you know, you know, <laughs> touched a kid, um, you know, because um, we work, we work vigorously to keep our kids safe, and, um, mm -hmm. but evil people don't raise their hand. Like, mm -hmm. wouldn't that be great? Hey, everyone who's evil, would you raise your hand? Yeah. So, you know, like if you're gonna to touch a kid, hurt a kid, you know, you're gonna hurt somebody, um, you know, and, and I mean, I've seen this, we've, we've had to report teachers, we've had to report, you know, uh, police officers. I mean, we, we, we've seen things where you're like, hey, this is a problem, and we've had to intervene, and, and we do so, because we have a responsibility. But I also understand what it is to be a victim. Um, you know, uh, I think the thing that's the hardest for me, though, at Sandals, is there are people who feel deeply hurt by me. Um, regardless of how hard I've tried to make it right. You know, um, I wish that me trying to be a good pastor and to seek reconciliation fixed every problem. It does not. And some people 
are not humbled by your your vulnerability they're emboldened by it hmm. um, some people want to be in power and and if I have one job it's to keep those people from running this church I can't let the bad people win and I think that I think I think that a lot of pastors are good men and and in some cases you know there's more and more women now who are pastors in the pastoral role but it's still 99% men they don't see the role as the shepherd is to keep the wolves out um, and I mean I we had a wolf at sandals once who said I've come here God has sent me to this church to tell you to change your theology and I said well the God that I worship wrote these words that disagrees with what you said and that means you're a wolf and you have to leave and she went and told everybody she was wounded by us she directly challenged the theology of this church and said sandals must change. Do you think that's what she went and told all of her friends? Probably not. No, yeah, she said, I was hurt, I was unheard, I was demeaned as a woman. She came to me and said, sandals view on homosexuality is wrong. And God sent me here to change it. Yeah. And I said, well, let me tell you why God put me here to protect the, to protect the church from you. Yeah. You're, you're not a victim, you're not a sheep, you're a wolf. And so I, I you know, and, and just so you guys know, everybody thinks, oh, that's easy. It is not easy mm -hmm. to confront and to challenge. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and then to be open to being confronted and challenged. And, and I think most leaders are, we're just insecure. Mm -hmm. And I've just had to say, I don't have all the answers. Um, just like before we started this, this uh, podcast, what did I tell you? I said, hey, if there's something that I'm saying as a white man that makes you uncomfortable, as a black woman, I need you to tell me why. Because I'm trapped. I mean, I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm trapped in this body, right? Yeah. This is the tent God gave me, yeah. um, and it skews what I'm saying. And you know, I mean, you're married. I, I mean, when I man, you got you married? Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. You know, you can try not to be <laughs> offensive. And 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 man, yeah. I hurt my wife's feelings, and and I'm trying. And, um, um, you know, part of that is I grew up with boys, all boys. My wife grew up with all girls. Um, you know, boys were blunt. Like, we had a disagreement. Somebody's bleeding, and then we, we're, we're, we're good. Yeah. Like, if my wife's bleeding, I'm going to jail. Like, that's, <laughs> that's not the way that we solve problems. And yeah. so uh, I've had to learn how, you know, to communicate. And so the same thing is true when we're talking about race, when we're talking about politics. And it's why, I, you know... Um, I don't mind challenging Trump or Biden, but I don't. I, that's not my sermon, mm -hmm. and and for a lot of churches, that's become their, their sermon. And um, well, there's a lot of money to be made, yes, and power to accrue now yeah. because of it. Yeah, and, um, and and even if we agree with what somebody's saying, you can't assume their motives are right. Yeah, yeah. you know. Um, I mean, I agree with a lot of what Trump said. I I don't like him as a person, man. I I agree that. We have some major problems with how black people are treated in this country, people of color. But I'm not, I'm not about the BLM. I, I, that's not me. So, you know, I, I, have, to, I have to figure out how to, how to figure that out. How can black lives matter to me and I'm not a part of this movement? How can I be concerned about, you know, I feel like the left has gone too far, but I don't want to wear a Make America Great Again hat. You know, like that's mm -hmm. not me. Mm -hmm. um, and as a leader, everybody wants to know what I think. Like I've been detained in India. I was detained in India. And all they asked me was, what do you think about Trump? 
I was like, what do you, what do you guys think about Trump? Because I want to get out of this cell, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, yeah. like, I don't care, you know, but isn't that weird? Mm -hmm. They found out I was a leader, an evangelical leader. You know, um, I told you guys when I met the Pope, have I told you that story? Mm -hmm. So I went, this is a true story. Everybody always says, oh, you make up these stories. Um, I wanted to meet the, the, the Greek Orthodox Pope. A lot of Americans don't even know there's two popes. So there's mm -hmm. the, the Catholic Pope and then there's the Orthodox Pope. So I met the Orthodox Pope and, um, and they would both disagree on who's Pope. Um, <laughs> but I met the Orthodox Pope and, and in the middle of his service, you guys, he stops worship service. They stop the entire service. And a bishop walks down from the altar, walks down, com comes in front of me and puts his hand out, I'm chewing gum. And I, like a, like a five-year-old, I spit my gum out into his hand. And he goes, and he finishes the thing. But, but afterwards, <laughs> this is a true story. But afterwards, what? I know, right? Wow. Afterwards, the Pope wants to talk to me, right? Yeah. Apparently, I, I must have just been, I don't know what I was doing. Yeah. Um, but um, I didn't know the Greeks all show up super late to church, so I showed up on time. That's why I was on the front row. I just didn't right. know Greek culture. Um, nobody shows up on time. So... Uh, like 9 a.m. is a suggestion, you know, I, yeah. I, it was crazy. But afterwards he asked me, you know, are you American? I said, yes. He said, what religion are you? And I said, Baptist. And he said, like George Bush. Mm. George Bush is a Methodist. Mm. But I was like, yeah, sure. You know, yeah. you know but you see what I'm saying? Instantly, yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's, he's sizing me up politically, mm. right. not theologically. Mm. And so I think that's what we tend to do. And we do that with race. We do that with gender. We do that with sexuality. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that believe, you know, I hate gay people. I just believe God loves gay people and has a specific message for how they relate to each other sexually. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm not against love. I have a specific version of how I believe sex is to be utilized. Right. Right. That's not hate. It's, it's a prescription that I believe for my faith. Right. So, sorry, guys. I didn't right. know my phone was no, there. You're good. So, but some people think that's hate. And so we have to be really, really careful. Um, but deconstructing I've had to deconstruct how 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 I talk about homosexuality mm -hmm. how I relate to my gay friends how I relate to my trans friends I mean just I just found out one of my closest relatives that I love very much is trans mm -hmm. he told me that during our Roman series mm -hmm. you know he's like hey cuz just so you know I'm trans I'm like I have no idea you know mm -hmm. and I mean we've been in each other's life I've been in his life since he was born he's been in my life since I was four so um, right I've had to change yeah. mm -hmm. and so and so that's what I think we, we need to deconstruct it's it's what do I believe about God because all of the young people are saying well my friends gay so that must be okay and it's like no 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 hold on it's not that it's not whether they're okay or not it's what do we believe about sex mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. like what has God said about our penises and vaginas and what we do with them mm -hmm. that's what we're talking about mm -hmm. not talking about this person God loves this person just like God loves you and loves me and like like we we don't all just follow our sexual passions yeah. anybody that believes that is lying to themselves and everybody else mm -hmm. like anybody who believes desire should be the director of your life you know we'll all be in prison yeah. mm -hmm. so that does not work so then what is the prescription for how we handle ourselves sexually well the world says you god's word says my word mm -hmm. here's my instructions and so um i think they're competing instructions we just believe in the Bible. And then it doesn't mean it doesn't need to be adjusted for 2,000 years, but it doesn't need to be thrown out. Um, and so, and so that's the weird, see, that's the weird challenges. So these guys are saying, you know, you can't do conversion therapy, right? So you can't change me at all. But then they come to my church and want to convert 
our theology. So that's that's the weird tension. Uh, liberalism used to mean you do you, I do me. Mm-hmm. Now it's skewed that way. Whereas when I was a kid, I felt like conservatism was trying to change everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, like Jerry Falwell, and I. You know, I don't know him personally. I do know one of his sons. Um, you know, I don't know his heart. He may have had good intentions, but the reality is what he is saying is America has to be like me and the way I see the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that was wrong. Mm-hmm. And now my liberal friends, who I think have forgotten what liberalism means, are doing the same thing. They are now the religious right, but they don't see it. Yeah. Uh, and so that's what uh, San Francisco is all about. And um, Apocalypse Never is these non-religious people don't see themselves as religious, but that's exactly what they are. Yeah. Um, and that's what we've seen with the virtue signaling, mask, mm-hmm. no mask, um, vaccinate, not vaccinate, right? Every, everything has become political. And what I've tried to do is, how do we, how do we keep the church from being political so that it's biblical? Um, I'm sure if the Apostle Paul had a book, what, what, are the, what are the ways that you would change the Roman Empire? Like he never wrote that book, right. but he did write a book on how to change your heart. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's different things. And um, you know, Paul never outright condemns slavery. He does condemn slave traders. So, I mean, that is condemned in 1 Timothy 1.10. A lot of people don't know that. But you can't say that he's a fan of slavery when he writes to... Um, Onesimus. Onesimus. Yeah. Philemon, actually. Yeah, Philemon. About right. Onesimus. Yeah, about yeah. Onesimus. Onesimus is the slave. Philemon is the slaveholder. And according to Roman law, uh, Philemon can kill Onesimus. And I, and I love what Paul says. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I could. Yeah. And he says, you need to receive him now back as a brother, that he may serve you even more now than he did before and um, right and then assumes the role of master over Philemon how have I treated you how have I loved you and so um, you know I think that the the scope of Western culture uh, what is what is Martin Luther King say always upward and right like we're moving towards truth we never Mm -hmm. stop moving towards Mm -hmm. truth and uh, and what keeps us from that is culture culture is always the enemy so culture was deeply racist for most of American history now I think it's it's deeply um, atheist like mm. like all things from the path are past are bad because of God and I'm like mm. you know Hitler wasn't a devout believer you know a lot of that mm-hmm. thinking comes from science yeah like we've out evolved you we're better animals than you so we're gonna we're gonna take care of you and so you know science doesn't get enough credit for some of the crazy stuff you know it wasn't Christians giving lobotomies to crazy people in the 50s mm-hmm. that was scientists yeah. right you know, uh, it wasn't Christians, you know, checking out on, you know, the, uh, the effects of syphilis on black men for 50 years. That was science. Mm-hmm. And you can say government. Yeah, it's science. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it may come out of this. You know, it's not Christians that created this virus in Wuhan. Science did. Right? You know what I'm saying? Right. So I think that you can't throw everything on religion. And I think that's what the left does. But then on the right, right, we look at science like it's the devil. It's like, well, we've been pretty evil, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we've done some evil things, too. Yeah. And... Um, so I think some level of deconstruction is good. The problem is today everything has been deconstructed. And here, I want to end with this and make sure we get some questions. I just want you to listen to the language. If I deconstruct, I'm tearing down. How do we build? Mm-hmm. And that's what the left has not answered. So we want, we want trans rights in athletics. But what's happening to women's rights in athletics? Right? See, it only tears down. Mm-hmm. You're, going to see, you're going to see women's sports destroyed unless, unless we avert this. Um, you know, because 
biologically men have a different bone density and a different musculoskeletal structure. And so what that means is at its peak, a super fit man will be able to outcompete a super fit woman. And um, you know, remember when Ronda Rousey was the first MMA fighter, they're like, oh, she could probably beat a male fighter. I'm like, no, she could probably kick my butt. But, mm. but when she's fighting a man of equal competence at the same level and weight, she's at a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's almost like the man when he's hitting, you know, they always check the gloves. Mm-hmm. What they're checking for is to make sure you didn't put anything in it. Well, a man already has something in it. It's called thicker knuckles, mm-hmm. you know? And so no matter what her shape is, she's at a disadvantage in striking. You know, it's like we, we had a, you know, a baby making contest. We're going to lose, you know? And so, and that's controversial now, right? Because your young people say <laughs> men can menstruate. Well, what, the, what that means is a woman who identifies as a man can menstruate. And so that's where I think as a, as, a, as a church, I think we can say, we need to accept trans people, but we don't need to say, you're, you're now a woman or you're now a man. I, I think we, we can accept people where they are um, and, and help people you know, in the church to say, okay, but who has God called you to be? Because identity is the new currency. Mm-hmm. Who am I? Yeah. Um, and so helping them find who they are in, in Christ, because um, so much of it is just this unhealthy fixation on sex. Like I don't run around all day thinking I'm male, I'm male, I'm male, I'm male, I'm male, right? It's not a fixation for me. But for, for people, you know, if I, if I was a trans woman, right, I'm fixated on the fact that I am the wrong sex and that, that interrupts my daily life. Like it's, it's such a compulsive thought for me that I can't function because I have this identity that I'm fixated on that I think is separate from me. And um, to that point, I wonder too if some of the pressure to deconstruct is coming in line with the sexual revolution. Mm-hmm. You know, and so even for Christian leaders, people in the church, part of the motive, you know, you talked about insecurities earlier as a pastor. I wonder if part of the motive for some people is they just don't want to be on the wrong side mm-hmm. of a movement. Yeah. And so trying to hold this mission of God and what Scripture teaches historically about sexuality, yeah. for some, just feels impossible. To yeah. do right now. Well, know? and here's the thing I would say about movements. Let's deconstruct that. Um, something like Black Lives Matter. Of course. Of course they matter. Yeah. Absolutely. Movements are betrayed. So uh, every person you want to read a great book, read The Animal Farm. So The Animal Farm is about this movement. So of you have this uh, uber wealthy czar in Russia and you have a super poor people, the Russians. Mm-hmm. So the movement of socialism, right, is the equal distribution of wealth. And so, right, socialism sounds great. And there's a lot of people, right, yeah, 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 we should all share. Here's the problem. So when we talk about who shares, guess who gets the biggest shares? The strongest, most powerful people. And guess what happens to the people who are sincere believers in the movement? They all get killed by the strong people. And so that's what Animal Farm is about. It's about Stalin emerging out of this movement of, of, of many sincere people. And I, I don't know, I don't believe that Vladimir Lenin was a sincere believer. I don't have a lot of grace for him. And if you don't know his story, he and his brother tried to blow up the czar. Mm-hmm. It's one of the first hits ever of a world leader. And they, were, they failed. And the czar killed Lenin's brother for trying to blow him up, but gave grace to Lenin because he was 14. When Lenin comes to power, Lenin has all of the Tsar's family lined up against the wall, men, women, and children, and, and kills, kills them all. So I don't know that he was sincere in, his, in his faith for what he believed. Um, 
but we know that Stalin, right? Stalin's famous quote is, if you want to make an omelet, you have to crack some, some eggs. Mm -hmm. Well, that just happens to be us. And so, um, you know, that's where, what's the famous work, uh, the Gulag Archipelago comes out. Mm -hmm. and, and it's really hard to read. I've tried to get through it multiple times. Um, but it's the story of these sincere believers. And, 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 and what happens when you, when you create a society that's about the society, the individual loses value. Mm. So what happens to the individual? Well, you read about it, they all get killed. And so, as I, I don't know how far into the Gulag Archipelago I got, but it's not easy to read. It's the testimonies of all these people. Uh, and so the archipelagos are these islands up in northern Russia. And so there's a, there's a, uh, oh, what's, what's the magazine? Um, what's the famous Nature magazine? It's yellow. Uh, uh, National, National Geographic. So National Geographic is doing a special on these islands. And while they're doing this special, they find these white people that look like skeletons and they've uncovered these dinosaur fish that are millions of years old. And while they're doing this article, these white people come and eat the dinosaurs. And it's like, what is this? Well, these are prisoners in the gulags and they've escaped, but they're starving, they're dying. And they're so hungry, they will eat millions of years old fish. And so what comes out of this is this story of, of as soon as the individual loses its rights, the society takes over and evil people take over. And you read these stories of, of, of people that served in the Russian army, people that fought for the revolution, that fought for Lenin. And as soon as you ask a question, the gulag. Mm -hmm. And it's like millions and millions of people. Mm -hmm. uh, even the Ukraine conflict, they killed millions and millions of Ukrainians, starved them intentionally as they collectivized farms because Ukrainians were hoarding wealth and had a racial, there was, there was racial prejudice over Russians and so we've got to take from them, right? Mm -hmm. So that we can spread this out. They did the same thing in Venezuela. Certain families in Venezuela were fishermen. We got to take it from them and give it to the masses. Well, guess what happens when you give fishing ships to people who don't know how to fish? They say sick. Yeah, and, and Venezuela is what it is mm -hmm. today mm -hmm. because not everything is racist hierarchical evil structures. Sometimes certain groups are just better at things. So they kill all the Ukrainians, they take their farms, and there's a mass famine. And I, I don't know how many millions of people. So that so the tension now between the Ukrainians and the Russians, it's like, look, man, you guys intentionally starved us. And the Soviet Union tried to fix that. I think it's Brezhnev, or I can't remember who is the Ukrainian that becomes the leader of the Soviet Union. So there was like a temporary, you know, kumbaya moment. Um, you know, uh, similar to things that we've had between blacks and whites in America, but, but the tension, right, it resurfaces when something happens. And so, um, you know, you have hundreds of years of just tension between, we would say, white people, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and, um, you know, and that's like where Whoopi Goldberg got in trouble, right? Oh, that's just, you know, that's a white people problem when she diminished, you know, the, um, what was it, the, uh, the Holocaust. The Holocaust. Yeah. Right, and so, and so that's where Whoopi Goldberg right, has to say, as a black woman, seeing this through the lens of my own pain and the things that have happened to me in this country, I can't diminish what happened to these Jewish people because that was real okay. and it was evil. Um, and, um, you know, and it just shows you evil doesn't care what color your skin is, it just wants you dead. Mm -hmm. right. And so we have to do that. So, but the Gulag Archipelago, I mean, the story that just shocked me was how bad it got in the Soviet Union this woman comes to the secret police and nobody knows who the secret police is. Nobody knows, like, you, you, it could, you could be secret police and you'd be working here and we don't know. And I would casually say something 
in here and then tonight you come to my house and arrest me and I'm gone. Mm -hmm. And so they, they take her neighbor, both the husband and the wife, to the secret police and they have a newborn. And they just the secret police just leave the newborn in the house. Now that blows our minds to die. They don't care. And they send the husband and the wife to the gulag. The neighbor comes and says, hey, you guys came and got my neighbors and you left this baby. What do you want me to do with this baby? And they said, oh, thanks for asking. And they took her to the gulag archipelago. And she died. She was one of the ones that died. And all she did was, she said, what do you want me to do with this? And that's the paranoia that takes place um, in communist countries where groups and uh, meetings are always suspect. So, and, and, and that's just a part of communism and a part of these countries. And it's one of the things that we, we have to value in our countries, the right to, to gather and the right to free speech. Those things are important to us because they're not values that are shared in other cultures and other places. And, um, and that's my big concern for us is um, as we've deconstructed and assumed that everything in the past is wrong, we are no longer allowing questioning of things that are happening now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like Black Lives Matter, amen. What is happening with all the money that's been given? You know, like Tammy and I, we went to um, Convoy of Hope. Convoy of Hope raises $200 million a year to help poor people. The first question I ask is, let me see the numbers. Mm -hmm. Let me see the outside uh, agency that verifies. Sandals is, we have an outside agency that accounts for all of our money every single year. I think it costs us like six grand a year to pay accountants to come stare at our stuff. Mm. Now, when I tell other churches there, they're like, why would you waste God's money? Because that's $6,000 a year, right? I said, because we have to be above board in everything that we do. Mm -hmm. We do that every single year. Um, and, and, and you know, sometimes they say, you, you need to do this, you need to do that better. Um, you know, they have comments, but they see what everybody makes. They see where we spend the money, but we do that for accountability. And so you can care about black people and still want to know where's the money go? Because black people are still people. Mm -hmm. And what that means is sometimes they rip you off. I mean, that's, that's what happens. And so um, just the loudest voices aren't always the best leaders. And unfortunately, in our society, we promote the loudest voice. And so who are the best leaders? And, and I can just tell you as somebody who oversees millions of dollars, you you have to you have to be addicted to saying no to yourself. I could be a very wealthy person. You know, I sit in that board meeting. I could say, "Here's what I think I'm worth." You know, right? What do athletes always say? I'm just I'm just trying to protect my family. You know, I mean, I could say the same thing. You know, um, but I don't do that. So when our board meeting decides my salary, I leave. I check out every time. I'm not a part of any of the process. Because I have to be, I have to be constant in that. Because otherwise, what happens? You make excuses. You say, "Well, you know," and I'm not saying I'm not well paid. I'm well paid, but I'm not rich. Mm -hmm. um, and and you, you just have to constantly, you know. And especially when you become in a position of prominence, you start running with rich people, and you go, "Oh, well, they have it, so I should have it." Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I mean, if you're a black leader and you have nothing, and all of a sudden you're at Oprah's house for dinner, and you're going. Oh, you assume that's normal. And so um, it's one of the things that, that I try to maintain relationships with people that are poor because I think it's important to, to realize what I have and to be thankful um, because it's real easy to just start vacationing with the rich people at Sandals Church, you know, because we have rich people. Mm -hmm. uh, now we don't have what Orange County has, <laughs> but we have rich people. And Orange County doesn't have what LA has. Mm -hmm. And LA doesn't have what New York has, right? You see what I'm saying? I mean, there's, it just goes like that. So you have to constantly say, what is the vision? And so here's where I think some deconstruction has been great. Uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, which is not a deconstructionist, he's before, he's an existentialist. 
Mm. Um, I remember, and I'll never forget this, and I wish I would have wrote down where he said it. Maybe one of our listeners can find it. So I don't know my source, but I do believe this is accurate. He said, every institution, regardless of its intention and or purpose, will in the end only serve itself. So what happens to police unions to protect and serve? Mm -hmm. They end up protecting and serving themselves. What happens to teachers unions? They end up protecting and serving themselves. What happens to Black Lives Matter leadership? We all get rich, right? So if we're all in the meeting, we just, you get a raise, you get a raise, and and that's what happens. And there's not accountability, outside accountability. Say, hey guys, the reason people are giving us money is they wanna see black businesses started, black students blessed, single black, you know, I mean, Nobody gave this money so a select few black people could get rich. That's not why they gave it. And that's what I try to remind myself is every single dollar that comes to Sounds Church, people put that on the table for the Lord. Mm-hmm. And, and, and God's going to hold me accountable for that dollar that was given. So I better, I better spend it to the best of my ability. Um, and not that we don't get it wrong. Everybody makes, makes mistakes. Um, but every organization needs outside accountability. Um, you know, and so, um, you know, that's why I appreciate uh, Bishop Sykes. You know, I told him, I said, we can't talk about equality if I, if I don't have a black board member. And I, so I invited black, uh, Bishop Sykes to come on my board. And I said, I need you. I need you to be in power over me because that's important for people to see. And he's, you know, he's a dear friend and a godly man and just, just a blessing to me in this church because um, he takes risk. You know, I mean, you know, um, what does his church think? How do they feel um, about something that I say in a sermon or something that I do? And um, um, he's been a wonderful friend, but you can't just speak about accountability. You have to actually do it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think most guys don't know how to do that or they stack their board with all their friends. Yeah. And, and you just have to just know, but by the grace of God, there go I. And we all do it. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. Evil's evil. Um, doesn't matter what your gender is, and so um, we we have to we have we have to push that way. And um, you know, I can I can be passionate about homelessness and not want to be a part of your program because until we talk about drug addiction and until we talk about mental illness, real solutions. And what what I mean by real solutions, I mean hospitals, like where you don't get to check out. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know we. You've struggled with this when there's when there's an addiction, you don't get to you should not get to decide when you leave, and I don't know what that number is, right? Because people have freedom and they have rights, but like I don't know if it's seven tickets, ten tickets. I don't know what the number is, but there needs to be a number where we say, "We love you, you have a problem, mm-hmm. and 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 we're not going to wait for you to help." And mm-hmm. so don't call it prison because I don't think prison is where they need to go, but they need to go to somewhere where. You know, and unfortunately, sometimes drugs change your mind forever. Yeah. So, um, and the same thing is true with mental illness. I mean, we're not caring for people by letting people that they do not have capacity to care for themselves. I mean, you guys see, we see it for our listeners who aren't in California. It is everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying, um, and we're not helping them. So we can be compassionate, but we have to. We we we, we need to speak. We need to criticize what's happening. Um, and you know when you spend was it how much did Venice Venice Beach spent like a billion dollars and yeah, the homeless something. population went from yeah. four th- four hundred to twenty five hundred. Yeah. You know, and um, that's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, and, and we need to do something about that. You know, and so 
Um, so I think, you know, like I said, deconstruction has been a long conversation. I, any questions? You didn't yeah, I don't feel like you asked a question. Uh, no, I, I just wanted to go back. I thought your point on, it, on the institution is really important for this conversation because the church, I think, is both an institution and a movement. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's a movement because it actually cares about people who are not within its own institution yeah. yet. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what we call yeah. evangelism. Yeah, our mission is people who aren't, well, exactly. I mean, yeah. It's, yeah. it's twofold. It's to care for the people who are in and grow them, and it's to reach the people to who reach, aren't. Yeah. And that's what I think makes the conversation around deconstruction helpful if someone's on the outside looking in on, and asking, what's the value of the church right now? Mm -hmm. I would say immensely because of one of the gifts it offers that we don't talk about a lot is confession. Mm -hmm. Like you, you mentioned earlier, before we started the podcast, you said, Chanel, if I say something that's offensive, please yeah. tell me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is modeling confessional community in which you say, I'm accountable to other people. Even in my role and my yeah. power, I'm accountable to other people. And so that's what I would say moving forward, or I think you know, maybe worth considering is finding a place where you see confession modeled well. Mm -hmm. yeah. Especially if you've been hurt by a church or by the pastor of the church, mm -hmm. it's good to leave in that situation, but find a place where you can see confession modeled mm -hmm. well, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, no one should stay in an abusive relationship. Right. I mean, and, and, it, and if a church is an abusive place, and unfortunately, I mean, churches are full of people. They can be very dysfunctional and abusive, yeah. and um, I think we need to do that. And I just want to say, I want to just say, if, if if you're a black person watching this and Chanel did something I said offended you and she didn't catch it, it's it's a different thing to watch a podcast <laughs> yeah. as opposed to her sitting in this in real time. So she's doing two things. And I think I think your role is harder than my role in this. It's harder to be listening and and when am I going to contribute? Because she's processing things in real time. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I'm so famously known for interviewing Mark Driscoll. And I was sitting in your situation. And he said something that I just didn't catch. Mm -hmm. And people are like, why didn't you say something? And the truth is, I was just thinking about my next question. <laughs> you know, and you because know, I would have pressed Mark further. Because I think if he provided some clarity, it would he would have softened what he said. But I didn't catch it, and so have grace for her. Please don't send her. Well, and even yeah. even me, like we refer to me as like the black person in the room. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. But like I also view life through a lens of I'm actually mixed. Yeah. I grew up with a white mom and a black dad, and in a white community, but was around black family members. So mm -hmm. I have I don't have the same experience, right. and I don't have the same perspective that everybody else mm -hmm. who's fully black, who has grown up in different areas, maybe not as affluent, didn't have the same education that I did. Yeah. Um, Where did you grow up in Sacramento? In Granite Bay. Okay. Uh -huh. So, yeah, so, okay, so we grew up in the same place. You yes. grew up in a very affluent white area. Yes. I grew up yeah. in a very poor black area. Yeah. Same, and they're like 15 minutes from Yeah, each same city. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. I went to Hiram Johnson. Did you know that? Uh -huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. So when people are they're always, always like, from Sacramento, they look at me like, yeah, yes. I was. Hiram Johnson. Yeah, yeah, and it's still not necessarily known as the greatest place. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So. I've had people say, I didn't know white people went there. I was like, yeah, me. Uh -huh. Like, us, me. Yeah. So, but it was a great, I mean, it was a, it was a great place to go to school, and, and I'm, I'm very thankful for uh, my upbringing and just, just the world that, again, that the church allowed me to live in. Because my parents had a lens that all people matter. Mm -hmm. Like, my parents had an evangelistic lens, and so that allowed us, like, my dad was the track coach. What did he know about track? Nothing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but we were a poor school. They couldn't get a track coach. And I said, I said Dad, they're going to cancel the program if you don't coach. That's how, that's how my dad became the track coach. And thing. so him yeah. and, and another white guy who was Mormon, because his daughter ran on the cross country team, like 
our track team was probably 90% black and you had these two white dads leading this program and it, 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 and it worked. And you know, my dad was Coach Brown for probably the last 20 years of my life. Every black friend I have, how's Coach Brown doing? They, they didn't know him as pastor. They knew him as coach. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's my lens. And I always wondered what it was like in Granite Bay. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, what was, that, what was it like up there? That's where the rich kids live, you know? Yeah. Um, Not awesome. Disney's got to get a hold of that script, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, coach Brown. No, so, there, so there's, a, there's, a, there's a, um, a show about a teacher. I, is it Stand By Me? Or where the teacher teaches uh, poor black kids in uh, LA, like calculus and stuff. It's a very famous movie. Mm-hmm. Well, he left that LA school to come teach at my school. Wow. So that's how low income like Hiram Johnson was. And he taught at our school, but he taught like, you know, it turns out like minorities can think. Who thought, right? Like, I mean, we, 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 produces, we produced some incredible, you know, because they don't have opportunity. We had, we, we had bad teachers. Like most of our like math and science teachers, English was their second language. So think about like trying to learn math. I think math is a second language. And then your teacher is teaching you this. There's a, there's a language barrier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's it was just really hard, and so he came, and um, and just right changed our school, like the trajectory of our school, and and, and put it on the map. And um, but he started here in L.A. and so in, in in East L.A. and that's where he became famous, um, because you know, you know, students can only achieve what the teacher envisions for them. I mean, that's the thing, and we need great teachers to to teach us. And so, um, it really transformed our high school in a positive way. And so that was something I always felt proud of that he mm-hmm. taught our school. Not that I was any good at math, but um, but um, yeah, so just, I, I just wanna say be gracious uh, to her, who all, and I think that's important, right? Comes from a mixed race family. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's an important part of your story. And I think it's a beautiful part of your story. Um, and I'm glad you're here. And so, but again, I just, I want people to be gentle mm-hmm. to you. Uh, Cause I do talk a lot and um, I sit next to a five on the Enneagram and a nine. So what are you? Uh, I'm a four. Okay. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So you're feeling it all. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He just, wants, stories, it. They got he just wants it to be over. And she's, she's going she's gonna, to, like an hour from now. Oh, yeah. Yep. It's so, kind of uh, funny. I'm a, I'm a four wing five. And then outside of that, my highest number is a nine. So yeah. okay. we hit, hit a little bit of everything. I have like zero nine, zero five. <laughs> I have a lot of four, you know, mm-hmm. so I, I ride the emotional, yeah. you know, train. Tammy gave me a card last night for Valentine's Day. I cried. So she didn't cry with what I wrote, but I cried. So, you know, it was, uh, it was really, really cool. So, um, so deconstruction is what, what, what we're born in. And so all of us, society, media, and everything leans left. So, so they're constantly getting us to deconstruct what's on the right. And so I don't just mean politically, but conservatism in terms of moral values, mm-hmm. an understanding of who God is and what truth is, right? Those are things that are, are, I think are some of the good parts of our society. There's been some bad things, but you know the old saying, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, you know, I think what kids aren't taught in America today is what about America is good and um, it's not all bad. So I was talking to a, uh, a professor at, at a college. Um, she's a woman of color, very, very bright, very, very smart. And we were talking about my trip to England and this was a real shifting moment. This is when I realized deconstruction had happened. Um, she said, what was your favorite um, thing that you saw in, in England? And I said, I got to see one of the original seven copies of the Magna Carta. Mm-hmm. Political science professor mm-hmm. said, what's that? It's the first written contract. It's the first written contract ever. Uh-huh. 
between non-king and his subjects, between a king and his subjects. Now the Pope eventually said it was not okay and threw it out, but it's the first contract, and this is like 1240, it's not that long ago. And what it said was rich, white, male landowners had a say in governance. So, you know, just a couple hundred years later, right, we have the Declaration of Independence that says all men are created equal. Now they didn't live it up to it. What they wrote was magnificent. The implementation was horrific. Mm -hmm. But the words, America was not like founded on slavery. It was founded on this idea that it grossly, negligently did not live up to. It failed to live up to what it said. But the idea of, of, of anyone but the king having any say in anything is relatively new. I mean, globally. Um, I tell people this, you know, I've been in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia outlawed slavery, does anybody know? 1971, <laughs> the year I was born, wow. 1971. Um, and, and many of the slaves there are white. It's, it's bizarre, I mean, it's bizarre. So the word slave in English means Slav, Slavic, east of the Rhine. So that's where most of the slaves in, in, in our English language are imported from. So it, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a horrific thing that's been globally done, and we all know this, that it happens to this day. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know why we call it human trafficking, it's slavery, like, mm -hmm. like I, don't know why, I don't know why we don't use that word, um, because people are being bought and sold as we speak, mm -hmm. like today. And so what happened to black people was, was horrible and wrong, and um, you know, um, Tammy and I were getting ready to, to watch this show on Netflix where what would happen if, um, if, this, if uh, Germany won the war, what would the world look like? Mm -hmm. And so I think it's called The Man in the High Tower. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we haven't watched it. So we were thinking about, is there, and so I just, makes me think, what would have happened if Lincoln didn't get shot? Like so much of the healing that needed to happen, the guarantee of every black person getting a piece of land, getting a donkey, uh, you know, being able to work their land and really start life. Mm -hmm. But so much of that stopped when he was shot. What would happen if Martin Luther King wasn't killed? Mm -hmm. Think about how we could have progressed and healed had he continued to have a voice. Um, you know, um, what would have happened if JFK hadn't been assassinated? I mean, he's the one that said, hey, it's not separate and equal anymore. I mean, what would have happened if he could have continued to push our country forward? And oftentimes it's, it's the people that bring the most change are the ones that get killed. And that's, I mean, Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's just, it's just terrible. And so, um, my hope is that, you know, I don't want anybody to be poor. I don't want people to experience racism. And I certainly don't want people to experience sexism um, or homophobia or transphobia or anything. But I believe that people are sinners. Mm -hmm. and, and, the re and the reason for those things is not racism, is not sexism, is not uh, any of those things. W what undergirds that is, is, is this deep insecurity that's caused by sin. And, um, and I think all human beings are trying to feel self-righteous. And so if I can feel better about myself by demeaning someone who looks different from me, then I do that. And um, it's gross and it's awful. And, um, and unfortunately, it's been in the church and that needs to be thrown out. Yeah. Um, but we don't throw out Jesus. We certainly don't throw out Paul. But we try to understand, you know, because we do have 2,000 years. I, you know, I wonder if when we see Paul in heaven, if we say, you know, we've been reading your letter for 2,000 years. Like, that's all we, I, I'm sure he would have added some things. Had, if he had a category for two millennia from now. I mean, think about that. Like, 
two millennia from now, if Jesus hasn't returned, we're probably living on Mars. Some of us. I mean, I mean, and maybe yeah. somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy, right? And and I say that, and it sounds crazy. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So Paul That's has Elon. Yeah. yeah. You know, trying to give Elon's some Mars. send you a check. Yeah. <laughs> or ask You know, but, but but imagine the apostle Paul like if we if we showed him how big the earth was. Mm-hmm. And we said and we're going to travel via airplane where 300 people I mean like there's no concept of that, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, the church is going to be 2 billion people strong. And oh, by the way, everyone's going to argue over this word that you just used right mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. So, can we Maybe spice it up a little bit or provide some more clarity. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, so we we, ha- we have to we have to deconstruct how has this been interpreted over the years, and there have been individuals who have seen the text in a certain light, and every translation is built upon a previous translation. Mm-hmm. So they all say they just look at the language, they look at the language, and how has it been understood and interpret- interpreted, interpreted, um, and. We need we need to make sure that we do that. Um, so, how for those that haven't deconstructed or tend to have a lot of fear or like panic wrapped up in deconstruction, how would you suggest someone starts that process or maybe goes about it? Because I mean, we talk about frontierism, how like that's a really lonely, dangerous road to go yeah. if you're trying to head that way by yourself. Um, and as people, we're not meant to be by ourselves. So mm-hmm. in this phase of deconstruction, whether you want to start or you're scared or you have a lot of questions, how do we, as followers of Christ, deconstruct some of the things that we thought previously, yet not lose Jesus in that process? Right. I I think my goal has never been to stand alone. Like if I'm standing alone, I've I've lost Jesus. Like if there's no other Christian leader that thinks like I'm thinking, like I'm... I've just started a cult. And so if you're all by yourself, you're a cult leader. And so I think that a lot of us who are threes, eights, sevens on the Enneagram, we want to blaze our own trail. We want to go our own way. Why not blaze a trail back to what Jesus meant rather than to where you think Jesus needs to go? And so that's what I would say is our, our goal needs to be back to what he said. What did he say? How do I live that out now? Um, I think the church is an easy, an easy target. I, I see people pick on it all the time, and it breaks my heart. Um, you know, because because there are there are a lot of great Christians out there. There are a lot of godly people, and you know, for every pastor that you hear who is, um, you know, becoming rich and uh, or has an affair, you know, there's there's ten thousand who haven't. Yeah. You know, it's like Elijah. Yeah. You know, he says, "I'm the only one," and God says, "There are seven thousand who have not bowed." Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have no idea, yeah. and so don't assume you're the only one. Don't assume you're the only trailblazer. Um, Try to desperately say, Jesus, I want to be who you've called me to be. And, um, you know, I think when you're young, the pressure is to reject what's old. Don't lose the wisdom of what's old. Mm-hmm. So, and I think so many of us are saying, well, what's the point of the Bible? Um, I think George, um, Dennis Prager says it's best. He says, when we reject the Bible, we reject the world's greatest source of wisdom that has ever been written. Mm-hmm. So, if you want to become less wise, um, don't read the Bible. Um, it is not just a, a source of divine revelation. It is a source of thousands of years of wisdom. You know, I was thinking, I was thinking the other day about Proverbs twenty-seven, twelve, and I just been a noodle in this verse. It says, "The prudent see danger coming and take refuge; mm. the simple ignore it and pay the consequence." Mm. That those words are three thousand years old. Yeah. 
So a wise person is thinking ahead, looking for danger, and is ready to take cover. The idiot just goes forward and, do, and, doesn't, and doesn't think a thing about it. And think about how many of our friends just keep doing the same things over and over again and pay the consequence. They never change. Yeah. And, um, and, and think about our culture. God would never ask you to change. The prudent sees danger and changes. The fool, God would never ask me to change and just keeps going. Yeah. Um, and the fool says, I can have sex with whoever I want, however I want. Like there's, there's no danger to where you put your penis or what you do with your vagina. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing that we're, we've all lived in fear and huddled for two and a half years for a disease that has a death rate that's 99 or less, I mean, has a survival rate of like 99.9%. Think about what AIDS does. Think about what syphilis does. Think, think about the death rates for these disease. And oh, by the way, like we talk about long COVID, what are the effects of, of, of the, these diseases and the problems that they occur? Hepatitis, um, you know, all of these things. And so God's designed them to be used in a certain way. And clearly we're not, we're not made to do whatever we want with this. Otherwise we wouldn't all get sick when we do whatever we want. And um, you know, um, you know, like I said, Jordan Peterson, evolutionary psychologist, he said, if you just keep having sex with more than one person, he says, in the end, you're always just having sex with yourself. Mm. It's become just about you. Yeah. And sex is um, a, a, a powerful, wonderful thing that I believe pornography molested in my brain. And, um, you know, trying to, so many young people today who think, oh, there's nothing wrong with porn I'm liberated no no you're captivated and imprisoned by it yeah and now you don't know how to relate to a person sexually and be in the moment and that's hurtful Mm -hmm. Um, to be able to come together and love one another and produce life that's a beautiful thing Um, so and that's a conversation for another (laughs) deeper